Luke chapter 10, start in verse 25. Pretty familiar story. And even people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who may never have cracked a Bible in their life, know a little bit at least. They get the general theme, the idea, the lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's just, it's all permeates our culture all over the place. I will spare you this morning. I almost brought it, uh, but I didn't actually think it was that funny because it's actually tragic. But uh, there's a Seinfeld clip. The very last episode of Seinfeld uh, was built around the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Good Samaritan laws. If, if, if you've seen that, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, this guy is getting carjacked uh, and all they do is sit there. They mock him for a little while. One of them films him, which this was before smartphones, so they actually had like this huge, it was kind of funny looking at the clip, this huge, gigantic camera. But what we would do hasn't changed. Still, there would just be somebody whip out their phone and hold, well, no, they wouldn't. Because Americans don't know how to film things. They do this. Because all their TVs are like this. I don't know what they're doing. But we would whip it out, and then we would tweet it, Facebook it, uh, Snapchat it, whatever, I don't know, whatever it is. You youngins are using these days. You just you'd put it out there on the web somewhere. You you know you you get to feel really old uh, at a young age when they start talking about which apps are now only for older, crusty people, and they're all the ones that you just found out about. I don't know what that's about, but that's what we would do. We would put it somewhere on the internet, and then they walk off and say, "Ah, oh, that's a shame," and they walk off and start to head off to a coffee shop until an officer walks up and said, "Oh no, you don't. You're coming with me." Because this town had a good Samaritan law and they did nothing to stop this robbery of this guy except mock him and film him. And that's silly in a TV show, but it's very sad in reality. There's a, a famous story of a, a lady that lived in uh, one of the boroughs of New York City. This is back in the late 60s, early 70s. She's stabbed by a guy down in the street. She cries out for help. No one comes. The guy comes back actually and stabs her again. Still, no one comes. And this goes on for 30 minutes or so, and nobody comes. They look out their windows. Some close their windows so they won't have to hear the screaming, but nobody comes. And it would be easy to say, well, yeah, that's what happens in big cities where people don't want to be a part of what happens. And there is that facet to it. But it happens everywhere. There are things happening in people's lives that are absolutely horrible and traumatic that may be more spiritual than physical, but there are horrible things that happen in people's lives all the time, and nobody does anything about it. Uh, I think I've shared with a few of you, not all of you, that we were, we were foster parents. Uh, a lot of you know we were foster parents when we lived in northeast Texas. Um, the last kids that we had before we moved from there to New York, th those last kids, we had seen probably six months to a year before they went into foster care and came into our house. We had seen them at Burger King. And we had had all kinds of training and everything, what you're supposed to watch for. And there wasn't anything just blatant, but there was just that gut feeling. There was nothing reportable that was happening at Burger King where you could say somebody needs to call. And that somebody by law would have been us if we had seen it and, and knew that. But there was just a gut feeling. And I remember remarking, to I can tell you where we, I could take you to the table at the Burger King in Bonham, Texas. We were sitting right there. And I told her, I said, I think those kids, I said, I don't know what it is. There's something going on there. And I think they're going to end up in foster care. I didn't know the Lord was telling me that, you know, it'll happen six months, your house, be ready. But that's what happened. That is what happened. And uh, a lot of times we see those things and we don't, we people, just in general, we shake our heads. We say, oh, that's a shame. We gripe about it on Facebook and nothing happens. And that's why, you know, see something, say something can matter so much. 
But Jesus takes it further and He takes it all the way to see something, do something, and that we really don't want to do. And so that's kind of the, the framework I want to look at this morning. Here in uh, Luke 10, more the idea because we know the lesson of go and do like this guy did, but how do we actually become those people? So let's look at this. Part of it's going to be, is a, a huge part of it is simply a heart and mindset change. Let's look at the, the text first. Luke 25, look at 25 to 29 first. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? First of all, let me just say, if you're trying to trick Jesus, and one of the things we need to remember, this lawyer was not just answering or asking a... Uh, an innocent question. He really was trying to trip Jesus up. He had what he thought was a trap. And he thought Jesus was going to fall right in it. And Jesus just flips the I love that. He flips the question. Well, what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? And he doesn't fall for the trap. And he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I imagine that this guy probably felt pretty good about himself. I think most of us, you know, if we're, we're asked... By, by a teacher, and we come up with what we think is the perfect answer, you think, I think I just nailed that. You know, and I think this guy thought he did. I think he probably even thought, not only did I nail it, but I just left something open. I'm going to ask him another question. So Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Uh, do this and you will live. Let me go back up and catch something before we move on. Do this and you will live. Well, the original question was, how do I get to heaven? How do I get eternal life? And everybody has that question. We don't all ask it. Uh, sometimes we kind of try to actually bury it. We really hope that as long as we didn't cut too many people off yesterday and as long as we, we weren't too rude on the telephone and as long as we kind of got our work done, that surely, surely we're going to heaven. And there's no reason to think that. That's works-based salvation. We don't even believe in that. But that's what we do. That's our actual practice a lot of times. Maybe I've done enough. Well, you haven't done enough. None of us have. And that's actually a funny part to Jesus and the way that he plays with this guy on the answer. But he tells him, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you'll live. You're going to make it. He doesn't say how much he's going to live. It almost feels like he might be saying, you'll make it by the skin of your teeth, but you'll be all right. That sort of a thing. And he says, you'll live. And so the guy probably does feel good about himself because in verse 29, he then says, so who's my neighbor? But look at the motive for the question for who's my neighbor. He wanted to justify himself. And a lot of times, that's, I think that's where we are coming from on this question. We want to feel like, okay, so if the answer is love God, love your neighbor. You know, the lawyer probably felt like he was a pretty good, pretty good Jew and probably was loving God enough. You know, he did all the right sacrifices, went all the right places, did the right moves at the temple and that sort of a thing. He probably thinks, okay, I think I've got the love for God thing down. I've got some people I really don't like. I've got a lot of people I really don't like. In his case... Most of the world I really don't like. I wonder how, the much, how far this love thing really has to go. There's also a bit of the trap in this. In the religious background and the, and, the, and the ethnic background of this lawyer is a lot of hatred. There's hatred built up for people who were non-Jews. And that was cultural. That was not because he was a Jew. That wasn't because he was part of Israel. Because that is not what God taught them to be. What God taught them to be was the light of the world. You know, that phrase doesn't come just from the New Testament. It comes from the Old as well. They were taught to be a light to the world. They were taught to set an example of love for their neighbor. And they weren't just taught to set an example of love for their Jewish neighbor or from their particular type of Jewish neighbor. They were taught that everybody was their neighbor. And then they worked their way back from that, trying to find as many exceptions as they could. 
they could almost have been Texans at that point, right? Because we try to find reasons why we don't really have to love a Californian. We don't really have to love an Oklahoman. We don't really have to love people in the Metroplex either. God bless them. And so we just keep trying to, tr- to draw that circle a little bit narrower, just like they did. It's a human thing. Everybody does it. Literally, I've been trying to get rid of the word literally, but here we are. Everybody does it on the planet. No matter where they're from, it's part of our fallenness. And that's the part we need to recognize. This is not part of our godliness. This is part of our fallenness. It's part of our sinfulness. And he wants to hold on to it. Okay, I want eternal life. Don't mind loving God. Can I at least get rid of a few people I don't have to love as my neighbor? And I think, again, the trap, if Jesus tells me to love somebody that we all know better than to love, then I've got him as being some kind of a wild, crazy, liberal guy who just wants to love everybody, right? And so he thinks he's got him hung on this. And uh, then you start to see the New Testament come into modern times, don't you? It just is a little too relevant. Going on with it, Jesus then turns and says, you know what, I think you need a story. And so he tells this story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And at this point, the lawyer is already kind of like David in Nathan's story. Remember when David is rebuked by Nathan and Nathan comes up to him and, and tells him this story about a shepherd who had a lot of sheep, but he really wanted that one sheep of the guy next door. And so he steals this guy's sheep and slaughters this guy's sheep. And David, as a former shepherd, gets absolutely irate. says, where is this man? We're going to put him in jail. And Nathan goes, buddy, that's you. And it was over the whole Bathsheba thing. I feel like at this point the lawyer kind of feels a little bit like David. They left one of my brothers out there half dead. How dare they? And so the whole point of this is to get that guy into that point, into that attitude, so that Jesus can then teach him and shape him and rebuke him a little bit. So he gets, you can imagine him getting angry about this part of the story. And then Jesus puts a little bit of a twist on it. And we might not think this part is a twist, but it is. He says, you know, a priest happened to be going by and he was going down that same road. And when he saw that man out there half dead, do you know what he did? And of course, the lawyer is probably thinking as a pious Jew that, well, I'm sure the priest pulled right over and put his things aside and forgot his schedule and helped that man. And no, he didn't. Jesus says that priest walked right around him, went over to the other side of the road. I'm not going to ask you if you've ever done this, because every human has done this. If we've lived past 30, we've done this, haven't we? We've gone around a problem. Not my monkeys, not my circus. I'm not dealing with it today, right? And we go on around. Some of us probably would say that's the only way I get through Monday. But this is, this is what we do. And there are, honestly, there are circuses to which you do not have to accept an invitation. But there are many more that we reject where God intended for us to help. And this priest just walks right around the guy. And that probably makes the lawyer mad. And, and it should have, okay? It should have. Then he says, and you know who else came by? A Levite, priestly class. So we're still sticking it to the religious is what Jesus is doing, right? He says, a Levite comes by. And do you know what he does? What's he do? That guy goes right around him too. You got to be kidding me. Those are my guys. Those are my people. We're supposed to be better than that. Because this is one of our people. He says, well, it doesn't matter. He just kept on going. And you know what he did? He went over to the other side too. My goodness. You have got to be kidding. 
It's kind of like the other day. We were talking about a change in a particular organization and everybody assumed because it's an international and national level sort of a thing that that must have been done by people in New York or California and they found out it was Texans that did it. Man, it made them mad. What? Texans did that? Yeah, Texans did that. Ah, it makes you matter, right? Because you're just supposed to know better than that. Well, we don't always. Verse 33, a Samaritan. Ah, no, that can't be right. A Samaritan. As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he brought the man by his own donkey. I lost my spot there because I had to click. He bandaged him, poured on with oil and wine. He brought the man with his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, not cheap by the way, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now, there have been probably a lot of you that have helped people in different ways. Not necessarily, don't get locked into the thing of thinking of this as just roadside help, okay? That's not the point of the story. But there are a lot of you that have helped a lot of people through difficult situations, situations. You have given sacrificially at times to help people that we're really in a bind. So you know what this is like. But this guy even goes further than most of us even when we're doing that. He then tells the guy, and by the way, if it racks up higher than that, I'll be back by. I'll take care of that too. Don't bill that to him. That's dedication, isn't it? You know the lawyer wasn't going to do that. At that point, he's going, oh, this is a crazy story. First a Samaritan, and now he's generous. How does that work, right? It's hard for us to fully understand the divide between the Jews and the Samaritans, but we'll take a whack at it, okay? So the Samaritans were actually, it it had slowly developed out of a split back when the kingdom divided, when it went with Israel to the north and Judea to the south, and it got completely corrupted by idolatry and, and, and foreign people as they had moved in, and they worshiped foreign gods, and they thought that they had, the Samaritans did, they thought they actually had a legitimate temple because their king had built an alternate temple, where he placed, by the way, because he didn't read his Old Testament at all, a golden bull, because God loves it when his people build golden bulls and calves, right? That always goes so well. And so, you know, when I moved into, into Bonham, I went upstairs in the attic of the church as we, they were showing me around the building and I found a tinfoil gold calf. I was scared of where I had just started working. So, got to watch those VBS uh, props every now and then. Uh, but they, they had developed a whole different religion and, and incorporated a lot of stuff from other religions around them. And the Jews watched this from afar. And, it's, and because... At the time, Jesus is here because the Jews in Judea had learned their lesson, realized how bad idolatry was by being exiles in Babylon. Uh, They looked at that with incredible scorn. And they got to a point to where they really saw them as less than animals, less than dogs, and they treated them worse than they did dogs. And they didn't treat dogs like Americans who spend billions a year on their pets. We're talking... Really horrible treatment of these people. The reason this man is on this road is not because it's the interstate to get there from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho. The reason he's on this road is, is because that was the road Jews took to go around the, Sumerians because, or the Samaritans because they didn't even want to go through their land because nasty people. That's the way they saw it. Jesus would cut across sometimes through Samaria. It's how he met some of the people that we've looked at already because he didn't see things that way. But they did. In general, 
That's the way that people did. It would be not unlike what still happens today in Israel. In Israel today, people have to go to get to certain places around the West Bank where the Palestinians live. And they have to go around all of those villages to safely get into Jerusalem. And they do so often with a lot of harsh attitudes and judgmentalism and everything. And you could look at that and say, well, yeah, because those people lob bombs into their neighborhoods. Well, the, the rockets go back and forth, and I don't want to get into all the politics of that. Let's just put it this way. The animosity is real. When you've got people who for hundreds of years have battled each other and for the last 50, 60, 70 years have been lobbing rockets and bombs at each other, you've got problems. And the attitudes haven't changed. This guy would have seen a Samaritan helping a Jew probably worse, worse than an Israeli now would a Palestinian helping or a Palestinian seeing an Israeli helping. And those things do actually happen. There are people on both sides of that divide, Israelis and Palestinians, with good hearts who want to help each other and, and don't actually want to be part of the fighting. You know, you can't paint with too broad a brush, but there is a bad attitude on both sides too and a hatred, uh, maybe more one side than the other, but... There's a, a pretty serious problem there. And so you can kind of understand how at each other's throats there were. And this would almost be like, I don't know, having to have Thanksgiving with Trump and uh, Elizabeth Warren, both at the same table. Hide the rockets and the bombs, that's all I'm saying. And maybe you don't have too sharp a knife for the butter for the sweet potatoes. But it's that kind of an attitude difference between these two people. And what Jesus is trying to get the lawyer to see is that that's wrong that it's wrong. Because actually, those people should be able to eat at the same table. We should be able to eat with people who disagree with us. We should be able to help people who disagree with us. We should be able to, to help and sit at the same table of fellowship with people that w at one time in our history would have been considered enemies or oppressors or the oppressed. That should be we should be able to do that. And in the kingdom of God, we will. That is Jesus' vision for the church, not just in heaven. It's His vision for the church here. Anything you see that is God's vision for heaven, we're supposed to be working at now. And so when He shows us in the book of Revelation that the people of God are made up of every kingdom and nation and language and tribe. That's the language that it uses. Kingdom and nation and language and tribe. Everybody around the throne of God. He says, so why don't you go ahead and give us a preview now? Do you know that while my wife cannot stop for a football game in bangs without breaking out in hives, her brother, her brother texted her yesterday because Holly, which is where her brother lives, was playing bangs and they beat him up good, I heard. But the, the, isn't that right? Isn't that what I heard? Did I get that right? Okay, because I, I would have been wrong if it was backwards. And so I was just making sure the world was still right. So they beat bangs. And if you're here and you're from bangs, we love you with the love of the Lord. We pray for you often. But the... <laughs> But what I'm saying is we can, come, we can come around this table and that's actually what's cool. Do we care when we're around this table? No, we do not. We do not. I, I will tell you this. As someone who grew up in San Angelo and went to Central High School and, and even likes orange as a bobcat, I can worship the Lord with somebody from Midland. I can worship the Lord with somebody from Odessa. I could worship the Lord with somebody from back when I was in high school from Fort Worth Dunbar, and they should be the ones in charge of the music because their band was awesome back in, in the 80s. Uh, I worship with all those people because that's what the kingdom of God does, doesn't it? It melts all that stuff away, or it should. It turns what could become very real animosity into something that we can just laugh about, something we can make lighthearted, not because it wasn't real animosity in the past, 
but because God's Spirit heals that well. And Jesus looks this lawyer in the eye and says, this is what I want from you. This is what I want from Israel. This is what I want from the church that is to come. Every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. Doesn't matter. Whoever needs help, help. Whoever needs to be the helper, help. And don't let anything earthly or worldly stand in your way. It's an incredible vision. It's one our, our, in history we've seen small glimpses of. In both world wars there were times, usually around Christmas, but not only Christmas, there were times where soldiers from both sides could get together, stop their fighting, and actually enjoy fellowship. One time they played football or something. I don't know if it was football or what it was. They played a game out there. In the middle of the... Oh, no. Football then. <laughs> Whatever. But, but they were out there because... Why? They stopped for a moment and said, you know, this is really all stupid. And they remembered that they had a fellowship that was greater than a uniform. Some of them worshiped together. That's going to happen again. But it won't stop. Unfortunately for them, at some point... The higher-ups started to shout the command and blow the horn, and they went right back to their trenches and throwing bullets and bombs at each other. One of the weird things of humanity, right? That we would do that. Like, hey, that was a great game. Duck, you know. We're weird. We hold on to things we shouldn't hold on to. At that point, maybe they should have looked at their commanders and just said, you know, we've already lost a half million men. Maybe this is enough. We refuse. But we don't honor that. We only honor the throwing of more bullets and bombs. That's not necessarily the Jesus way all the time, is it? This man learned when he was asked this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which of these three? It's an interesting question. The expert in law replied, the one who had mercy on him. I'd like to know what ran through his mind. You know, I always want just a little bit more detail than is there. But we have what we have. I wonder, did he catch what Jesus just did? Did you catch what Jesus just did? Because the question is not what Jesus just did put back as a question. The man's question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus didn't answer that question. Instead, he throws the question back, which of these three do you think was a neighbor? To him. He changed the whole object of the story, didn't he? The whole time, the lawyer's question was from the point of view of being a good Jew and who do I actually have to stop and help? Maybe he even thought he was off the hook with those first two guys. Well, if the priest doesn't have to stop, I don't have to stop. If the Levi doesn't have to stop, I don't have to stop. But Jesus asked the question, which one was actually the neighbor to the, to, to, the, to the Jew who was there, beaten and bruised? And he had to confront his own prejudice, his own bigotry, and say it was, it was the Samaritan. The one, he wouldn't even say that, would he? You can catch that too. He wouldn't even say it was the Samaritan. Probably couldn't get past his mouth. You wonder if it was like Fonzie on Happy Days trying to say, I'm sorry. You know, he would go, I'm yeah, and his mouth would fall apart, right? Did he try to go, well, I guess it was the Samaritan. Couldn't do it. The one who had mercy. That guy. That guy. That's as much as he could get out of it. The one who had mercy. What's Jesus telling him? You don't worry who your neighbor is. The question is not who is my neighbor. The question is, are you a good neighbor? Are you the one who would care? Are you the one who would have compassion? Are you the one who would overcome your fears, your anxiety? And who knows? Maybe this Samaritan could have even been a bigoted guy himself too, but he stopped anyway. Can you overcome that stuff? Because being... A good Samaritan, being a good disciple of Jesus Christ is not always going to mean that you felt the good first. Sometimes it's going to mean that you see somebody that you'd rather dodge, see someone you'd rather avoid, and you look at them and go, I know Jesus would want me to do this, so okay. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too, where you've had that conversation with God that's like, 
God, is there... You think there's somebody else that could... Could you put on my heart... Lord, just put on my heart somebody to call to give this assignment instead. I'm not saying I've done that. But we're all in this boat and Jesus is saying, if you're a really good godly neighbor, that's not you. You're the one who stops. And He doesn't redefine who is my neighbor. He redefines how you're to be a neighbor. Isn't that something? Both questions, he flips on its head and turns it back and says, you're asking the wrong question, guy. Let me show you what I really want. I'm going to share with you now a, uh, a video that was shared uh, not too long ago. We got to go uh, up to Cisco, Sunset International Bible Institute, was having a banquet to honor people who had supported them in the past and, and to honor a particular person at the congregation in Cisco and to share some things of what was going on. And they invited, uh, I just lost his first name, Robertson. You know Robertson, right? The one Robertson who doesn't have his beard on the show, the preacher Robertson. What's the first name? Alan, thank you. Alan Robertson. Alan Robertson was speaking. I've got to hear him before. And it was really, really good that night. But one of the things that they shared that I can share with you was a video of a lady named Rosemary. And uh, this is Rosemary. She actually is the wife of an African Christian who went to go work with the church in Greece uh, among the refugees and things. They were new, fairly new Christians. And they, they immigrated to Greece. Uh, her husband went ahead. He had been there for a while. As she was ready to go with the kids to meet him, and I guess it was right after, maybe he went to the hospital even before she got there. I can't remember the detail on the timeline on that. But as she got there, or just before she got there, her husband went into the hospital. And whatever it was, it got him before they could really even start treating him very well. And her husband died. And now here she is, a, a, a woman from Africa with several kids of her own. Her husband was the means of support. He is now gone. They're in a foreign country. Who knows how that messes with your immigration status and everything else, which is always tied to do you have a job and things like that. So all of these worries and all of these concerns are on her heart and are on her mind. And yet, God puts some people in her path. So I want to share this video with you about what God does, did then and does now through Rosemary as a, a way of showing how a good Samaritan might look in the 21st century. Go ahead and play that, Colton, please. And you know, to travel to Europe is not easy for Africans. So we had to find a way. We were together and happy as a family, but it was short-lived because after that, my husband died and left me with the children. tried with the help of church members they were telling me I have to be strong and uh, something came to my mind that I have to be strong for my children 
when I came to Athens International Bible School, the first thing I noticed with the people here, instructors here, they were different. And I'll give example of Mr. Benny. When I met him, he has been like a father to me. He really helped me. It was during my healing days, and he really helped me to go through it. One day, I, my son, he, he kept on bringing people the small food I have, we have to share it. I told the, Mr. Bena the whole story about these boys who are staying in my house. And then the only thing Benny told me, I thought Benny was going to tell me that, no, you can't stay with them and you are a widow and that, but he told me that, that is God working. Don't chase away that, those children, take them as your own. And then I was like, wow. I was coming one day from Kifisia. I came out of the train station and I saw a group of Arabs. They were seated there with the children, men, women and children. I didn't know why they were there because there were so many and they used not to be there. So that day I passed and I went to my house. The next day I saw them. Again it was so cold. So I went and I saw my son. I said, now we have work to do. Now, not only small work, it's big work. I really grew up in a very difficult situation whereby food was just, uh, it wasn't a compass thing in my life and my family's life. So we, if we get it today, we don't know whether we are going to get it the next day. to call my grandmother mama and she told me that there's something good in giving so you should learn how to give don't just learn how to receive but learn how to give also said that food for her own family wasn't even always something she could count on, that some days you had it and you were thankful when you had it, and some things, some days you just didn't, and yet it didn't stand in her way to share it with other people. That's the Good Samaritan in our time, isn't it? She saw people on a park bench, and she said the first day, what did she do? She walked on by and went home. She was nervous about it. You can tell that. And when they told us the story 
at the banquet. They said she was, she was nervous. She was afraid of them. They were refugees from Syria and elsewhere. They were coming into Greece. One of the things that we've heard also through Eastern European missions that's so encouraging and that some of the same people working for Eastern European missions in Sunset Bowe is how many of those refugees they're bringing to Christ because they're looking past the fear and past uh, the things that politicians would have them feel and seeing someone made in the image of God. Someone in need, someone hungry. In her case, she said they looked cold. Uh, if, you're, if you're from Kenya, then I guess Greece is cold, you know, maybe in Texas too. But she, she was touched in her heart because of that. I love that the second time she passed, you can see the Spirit was at work. She goes home to her kids and all her extra kids she'd already been feeding that weren't even hers and says, boys, we've got work to do. And it's a big work. And God has blessed it. And the same thing can happen with you and with me and with this church and our communities when we just don't worry about how other people see other people. And instead, all we see are people who need to be blessed in the name of Jesus. And how can we do it? And what can we do? And we jump on it. That's it. That's what Jesus was teaching that lawyer that day. It's not about who is your good neighbor. It's everybody's your neighbor. Who are you going to be a good neighbor to? How are you going to go out and show the love of Christ? How are you going to go out and advance the kingdom in a way that brings in every nation and language and tribe and tongue to the glory of God our Father? If you want to be a part of that, we want you to jump and hit the ground running. And you, we've got ways. Read your bulletin. There are some ways. If there are other ways, something God puts on your heart where you want to work and serve in His kingdom, we're going to pray for you. And if you are saying, you know what, I need to get my life right first, fine, we will pray with you. If it's your time to come to Christ and to be baptized into that kingdom so that you add your voice to every nation, language, tribe, and tongue, the water is ready, and even more importantly, the Spirit is ready, and He says, come. So if that's your day, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?